Welcome to Prajna Sparks special series, 59 Days of Healing, where we explore one maxim from the Tibetan Lojong text, seven points for healing dualistic mind each day to integrate the practice into our lives. Today is day 38. We are finishing up point six, healing promises with maxim 38, do not mind misfortune for titillation. This maxim is addressing this kind of trashy tendency of humans to get a kind of thrill, not necessarily a secret one, when others encounter misfortune or even worse. Of course, if this is someone we care about, someone who is on the side of what we think of as mine, my friends, my family, etc., we don't like this at all. Their misfortune makes us unhappy. Whereas if it's happening to someone who's on the them side of the dividing line, dualistic mind will slip into this nasty snickering about the individual's tragedies. Basically, we scrounge for goodies in the gunk that comes up for others. By now, on day 38, it's clear that the Lojung practice is going to encourage us to grow out of this infantile approach to life. It's going to do this not just because of there being a dualism involved, being happy when it happens to them, unhappy when it happens to us, but because it's harmful to our own mind. Taking joy in misfortune is not the nature of our mind. The nature of our mind is intrinsically compassionate. Compassion has a very particular definition in this tradition. It means wishing that all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. Not just a plain old wish, an ardent wish that is so powerful that it suffuses our mind such that we're unable not to act on that wish. How much room does it sound like there is in that wish for all beings to be free of suffering, to be pleased when one of them suffers? There's no room for it. Not because we're bad if that happens, but because we're out of alignment with our nature. It actually does a violence to our mind. It disturbs our mind's natural state to fall into these habits of finding titillation and others' misfortune. I also want to address an important point that comes up in this context. Most folks, Buddhist or not, are aware that Buddhism speaks about karma, cause and effect. I promise you that whatever you think karma is, it's not the same as how the Buddha explains karma. It is not justice. It is not retribution. It is not punishment. This maxim isn't saying anything against karma. If someone is experiencing misfortune, it's a result of prior actions, either in that person's life or in previous lives that deposited those seeds of karma, which ripen into misfortune. This is no cause for rejoicing that the fruits of negative actions are visited 
on the individual. It's not like we say, oh, they had it coming to them. Thank goodness they got their comeuppance. That's not what karma is about because our culture is not one that has a history of understanding karma as Eastern cultures do, much less as the Buddha does, which is a departure even from his own culture. We may get some of the popular notions of karma confused with what the Buddha's description of karma is. The point for this maxim is that we don't rejoice when others experience the results of negative karma. We feel compassionate, just like we don't rejoice when we see others engaging in actions that are negative and will result in future suffering. We feel compassion for that. So this maxim is asking us to allow ourselves to align with the true nature of our mind, loving, compassionate, caring, and wishing the best for all beings. I'm so glad you brought up that piece about karma because I wanted to hear more about that. I I hear people sort of throwing around the idea of karma in these ways. You know, somebody kicks a dog and then they slip on a banana peel. Apparently in my mind, everything takes place in cartoons, you know, and then they'll look at that. Oh, that's a karma smack. You know, it's like you do something bad and then immediately something bad happens to you. I'm really appreciating the sort of nuance and complexity with which you're talking about that. It's not so immediate and direct. And in some ways, it's not something we can know. We can't really know what somebody else's karma is and all of the causes and conditions that that um, are there. Not only can we not know, having positive feelings about misfortune that other people experience, it's not only problematic because we're harming our thoughts about that other person, you know, or the feelings we're having about that other person, but that that really harms us because it is interfering with, it's it's in contrast to generating compassion, which is really where we naturally are. I'm just glad that you addressed the karma piece because I do feel like um, people think that they're justified in feeling something positive about something bad that happens to somebody else because of karma. And I'm hearing that's just, that's just wrong thinking about karma. It's definitely a misunderstanding of how the Buddha explains karma, which is incredibly intricate. It's said that only a fully enlightened Buddha is able to understand all the ramifications of karma. That doesn't mean that we can't understand some of them or that we can't experience things in our own life that allow us to use our intelligence and our capacity for inference and make determinations about it. For example, one thing you can always know when someone slips on a banana peel and hurts themselves, that's a result of a prior negative action as the Buddha would describe karma. That prior negative action is almost never in the course of that individual's life. From the Buddhist perspective, karma transcends any one given life. The idea of rebirth, also very different than what most folks imagine it to be, is intertwined with karmic action as the Buddha presents it. Karmic action is just behavior that is driven 
by the kleshas, those emotions that disturb mind's natural tranquility, that are out of alignment with the nature of our mind. Anything out of alignment with the true nature is going to produce something unpleasant. Why is it unpleasant? Because it doesn't align with our true nature. It's pretty straightforward. Similarly, actions that do align with our nature, that are loving, wise, caring, compassionate, yield results that feel pleasant. Why are they pleasant? Because they align with our true nature. They harmonize instead of create a cacophony. Results of karmic action typically are experienced in a life different than the one in which the original action was commenced. Now we bring in the Buddha's teachings on non-self, anatman. This is what completely radicalizes the teachings on karma compared to the Buddha's contemporary society and very certainly compared to New Age, pop psychology, and meme culture descriptions of karma. If there was a single essence that moved from life to life, that would be a truly existent self. But it teaches that there is no such truly existent self. There is a whirling energy of body-mind complex that we call me, constantly changing, not the same even in the course of a day, much less across an entire lifespan and across multiple lifespans. Our mind is like a stream, and we're at a particular bend, but that stream is fed by other parts of the stream. In other words, we inherit karma from other beings that shared this mind stream, and we're going to hand down this karma to the beings who come after us to share this mind stream. Now, that doesn't mean that there are some beings somewhere else that are coming in and invading our mind stream, like aliens. That means that there is a continuous mind stream, and at any point in time, the being I now am manifested as a different being. I would never recognize that being as me, and yet that being shared the mind stream that I now have, depositing seeds of karma into that mind stream. Just like right now, my life, my actions change the character of this mind stream. That gives you just a tiny little glimpse at karma and rebirth as the Buddha presents it. It's not as black and white as our dualistic mind would like things to be. To say every time something happened to somebody, oh, that's terrible, that's their comeuppance. What do you do with newborn babies who are born into poverty? What do you do with the horrors of the Holocaust? Nobody deserves that. That's not what the Buddha is saying. You say, do not mind misfortune for titillation. For me, that is in some way about entertainment, you know, that, that it's sort of, oh, like we can laugh about this or we can sort of enjoy this. There's something else I see, and I'm wondering if this fits in, which is a sort of satisfaction of something. And I'll give a current example. I don't see this a lot, but I do see it enough that it disturbs me. But, you know, right now we're in the midst of COVID and there's a lot of suffering going on around this. Every so often I'll see something pop up where someone who has been advocating against 
mask mandates and who has been very firm in not wanting to get vaccinated and telling other people not to get vaccinated. And that that person, you know, a person like that dies of COVID or is very ill from COVID. I see not people feeling entertained by that, but feeling some satisfaction in that. And I'm wondering, does that fit into what this maxim is addressing? Yes, it does. Another way I phrase this is not looking for goodies in others' tragedies. That's that sense of satisfaction. Oh, I knew that that person was wrong about the mask mandates or the vaccines or whatever. And now, ha ha, they've, they've got the illness. We may not even be pleased that they're ill. We might be saying, oh, wow, it's terrible that they're ill. But, you know, they were up there talking about not getting vaccines and not having mask mandates. And that kind of reinforces our idea that we were right all along about this. You can see as we have throughout this process that the maxims interpenetrate each other. There's something there around the maxims that ask us not to say anything of others' failings or not to fall prey to backbiting or that kind of thing, as well as others. It's asking us to occupy a completely intersectional space with respect to other beings, instead of it being a very polar I'm a fully vaccinated and boosted person, and they're an anti-vaxxer. Have there be a lot more around our common humanity, our vulnerability, and our broken wish to be completely happy and never suffer. I appreciate your facility with language, the ways that you've translated things into English. And I can't help but think that if you translated this one into German, it would have to have the word schadenfreude in it, which is pleasure derived from another's misfortune, because it seems like that is exactly what this is getting at. That is exactly what it's getting at. And it's a sad comment again, that 1000 years after this is written, we still need to hear it. This has been Yeshe and Tanya on day 38 of Prajna Spark's special series, 59 Days of Healing. Tune in daily for more maxims from the Tibetan Lojong text, Seven Points for Healing Dualistic Mind. Check the episode notes for more resources. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Prajna Sparks, and email us, sparks at prajnafire.com, with any questions. May all beings benefit. <laughs>